Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rama.org.au forward slash media. Uh, Tony last week started a series called The Waiting Father. And uh, this traditionally Uh, This parable is traditionally called the prodigal son. We always call it that. Actually, the prodigal son, those words aren't in Scripture. They're in your Bible, but they've been put there. uh, Not the writers of the Bible, but the people who put the Bible together so we just know and we can identify what things are. So we call it the prodigal son. But actually, what Tony brought out last week was actually this parable is a very strong look at the waiting father. It's actually a greater picture of the father because if it weren't for the way the father was, uh, this parable wouldn't even be here. The, f- the first part of this story gives us a good look at the father in the last part, but if it weren't for the father, there wouldn't be a story. And so it is uh, with all of our lives. Uh, God has made all the difference. His goodness has made all the difference in us. So if we'll go to Luke, the 15th chapter, and we're going to uh, plunge in today. And notice uh, it says here to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story, a man. It had two sons. But last week, Tony looked real carefully at this man or the father. And so we see that with this story that Jesus gave, this parable that Jesus came, he gave through this story uh, the way God thinks, kingdom culture. And so Tony made some uh, real, I thought, very impactful uh, observations that came out in this parable that Jesus began establishing Uh, in this parable, heaven's culture over all other cultures. And we respect culture. We we are intrigued with different cultures. But heaven's culture is the way that God thinks and the way that God is. So we were just singing, he is perfect in all of his ways. And so his culture is perfect. And so in this story, we get to see is culture, Christian culture over synagogue culture. We could say religious culture. So sometimes religious culture runs cross-grain with the way God thinks. And so when it does, then even religious culture is going to have to bow to the greater culture, which is, is Christian culture, or God's way of thinking. Then Christian culture over nation culture. Each nation has different cultural uh, uh, characteristics, and they're beautiful and diverse and wonderful, but sometimes national cultures can run cross-grain with the way God thinks, and when that happens, guess what? We submit to heaven's culture. Isn't it good? So then the New Testament culture over Old Testament culture, yes, and grace culture over law culture, God's forgiveness culture over man's unforgiveness culture. And in this particular parable, uh, we really, really get to see on display in a practical sort of a way uh, the way God thinks and the way that it impacts 
uh, kingdom culture and the way that children of God are to respond and do respond. So in this story, you know, the son came and asked for his inheritance. And uh, in, in that culture and at that time, it wasn't just saying, Father, you know, I, I want the money that you put up in, in the bank account for me, in savings account for me. In that culture and at that time, as Tony made as aware of last week, it actually was tantamount to this son telling his father, you're dead to me, drop dead. I want what would come to me if you died. So it was horrific what this son did in this culture. And if it had ever been done, what was culture for this father to respond would have been to respond in a very, very harsh way. And that's where this story runs cross-grain. And so we're going to see uh, a little bit more today. Second uh, Timothy, the second chapter in the 13th verse, shows us something of the Father's response in this. It says, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. He cannot deny who he is. So in other words, through this story, we're able to see that even if we are unfaithful, even if we have done something horrific to him, he doesn't become horrific. Human nature a lot of times, not just in that culture, but in any culture, is if you kick me, I'll kick you. You spit on me, I'll spit on you. You slap me, I'll slap you. You talk bad about me, I'll talk bad about you. You're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. Jesus is saying and demonstrating in this culture or in that in this parable something different. And this verse says, when we're unfaithful, God doesn't say, well, then I'll be unfaithful to you. He's saying, if you're unfaithful, God remains faithful still because he cannot deny himself. Aren't we thankful for that? Praise the name of the Lord. So uh, Romans, the second chapter in the fourth verse, tells us something here. He said, don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin. So uh, it was the kindness that this father demonstrated when his son asked for his inheritance that literally paved a way for his son later on to return to him. If his father would have said things like, okay, you say I'm dead to you? Well, I'm telling you, you're dead to me. And if you, go out of that, if you go out of that door, you are as good as dead to me. You're gone forever. So he didn't give ultimatums that would make it hard for his son to return. He kept the door open by his kindness and his goodness. Amazing. All right? So uh, he even saw, the son even saw that the way that his father uh, was not only good to him and his brother, but also good to the servants would later on play into this story. He saw that his father was a kind 
and merciful man. All right. So that brings us up to today. And we're going to take this into uh, today's look at a tale of two brothers. That's what we're looking at today. And in Luke, the 15th chapter, in verse 11, it says, a man had two sons. And we're going to look at these sons, these two brothers, and how they affect us. And instead of looking at what comes next in Scripture, which is the younger son, we're going to go straight away to the older son and look at him first. And so we're going to go down to verse 25 and pick up uh, a look at this older son. It says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working, and when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. Because by this time in the story, the prodigal son has returned home. And now he, the older son is hearing dancing. Next verse. And he asked one of the service, what, servants, what is going on? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf, and we are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one goat for a feast with my friends. (laughs) Okay, so it sounds like this guy is having a bit of a whinge. But I think we can all get it. We all understand. It, It really doesn't seem fair. His brother, the younger guy, has been out and about and doing horrible stuff, and then he comes home, and his his father's having all this celebration, and it doesn't seem fair, because this guy, the faithful son that's been there, done all the work, he said, you didn't throw any parties for me. All right. Now, the key thing here, here is uh, what we've underlined here. I've slaved for you. So the older son, the one who's been good, all that goodness was for his father, but how he saw himself was not so much in, rela- in a sonship relationship Notice he said, I've slaved for you. He sees himself as a worker for his father. He's worked hard for his father, done everything his father told him to do. But he sees himself more in that kind of a relationship instead of a sonship. Now, let's go on. And let's look at the next verse. Verse 30, and when this son of yours, so he's calling his brother, this son of yours, comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. So what's with that? That's not in the Bible. That's the bit I added. But this son of yours, so he's recognizing that his younger son Seems like he's getting the benefits of sonship. And he even recognizes his younger brother as his father's son. 
but he recognizes himself as his father's slave. Now here's the deal. Go on to the next verse. His father said to him, Look, dear son, let's just stop there. The fact of the matter is, is the father saw both sons as his sons. He didn't see one as a slave and one as a son. He saw both of these sons as sons. It's how they saw themselves in relationship to the father. The younger son one way and the older son a different way. And so he said, my dear son, you have always stayed by me. And everything that I have is yours. In other words, what he's saying, older son, you've been with me. You stuck with me. You're with me. Not just the half of the inheritance here is yours. Everything I have. In other words, as an older son, you wouldn't have had to ask me for a fatted calf. You wouldn't have had to ask me for anything. What I have is yours. But you were looking at yourself as a servant and not a son. That is a lesson for us. And I, it's an interesting thing. When sons of God don't receive the Father's love and their relationship is more based on works and what they do to try to earn Father's, earn Father's blessings or earn Father's graces, earn it by what they do, they become judgmental at other sons. Judgmentalness and pointing fingers and feeling unfairness is, is no indictment against the Father. What it is is a testimony that I'm starved for Father's love myself. Because when you are receiving Father's love, whenever you see anybody else receiving it, it makes you rejoice. I tell you, quite honestly, there's been some times when I have seen what was happening good in other people's life, and I'm thinking, that's Italian for that's not fair. <laughs> that's not right. Something, they, they didn't do enough to do it. You know, something didn't fit right. And those aren't the, the kind of things sometimes you even tell other people, but you have those sometimes in your head. When you're filling up on the love of the Father, you rejoice when other people are able to fill up on the love of the Father. Okay? Now let's go and see what we can learn from the younger son. So go back to, ch uh, to chapter 15 and verse 12. And we're going to pick up on this younger son and see some of kingdom culture and thinking that we can apply. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. I'm just only going to just comment again and reiterate the fact. Sometimes we see words written in Scripture and we just, we just casually pass over it. The part that says, so his father agreed to divide his wealth, like case or, you know, whatever, whatever. It wasn't whatever, whatever. It was completely counterculture for this father to do that. Every and any other father in the same situation would have been furious at his son. 
as Tony brought out last week. But now let's back up. Let's look at this younger son. He said, I want, and that's what we've underlined. The spiral down in life always begins with I and me. When any time life begins to be egocentrical and about me, what I want, and I want it now, mine, me, it's not fair, it's mine, my, I want it. That's when it starts going down, all right? So important to see, also another example to help us to get a grip on this is uh, from another spiral down example in, uh, in chapter 12 of John. And this is Judas Iscariot. And we'll see how these two guys, uh, the, the younger son and Judas Iscariot, uh, kind of help paint this picture better. Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume, let me stop right there so we get the context. In, in just the verse before, Mary has just broken an alabaster box of ointment perfume that cost a whole year's wage and, and just put it on Jesus' feet, all right? Anointed Jesus' feet. And Judas is just, he's just outraged. He cannot believe what he's seeing here. This woman has put this on, on Jesus' feet. So he says the perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Doesn't that sound like noble and holy and whatever? But keep going. Not that he cared for the poor. <laughs> he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for, for himself. It was about himself. So here, the spiral down always begins with doing something that is good for me. Good for me right now. What I want right now. Okay. So we'll come back to Judas in a little bit. But let's go back now to the, the first son in chapter thir uh, or verse 13 of chapter 15. A few days later, after he got his inheritance... This younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. It is possible, guys, the blessings of the Lord, things that we receive from God by his goodness and his kindness, what, what he has given to us, and it's, it is possible to use your strength, your health, provision, your talent, things that come from our good and perfect gifts that come from God, it is possible to misuse them on things that are wrong and destructive, okay? So he wasted them. Next verse of Scripture. About that time his money ran out and a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. That's extreme. Next verse. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. Next verse, the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding, the pigs looked good to him. No one gave him anything. It's an amazing thing. This spiral down will make people or bring people to things that they have never, God never meant for them to endure or experience. 
and oftentimes, even if they're around other people, the experience of it will isolate them. So this man finds himself, you know, he was with a lot of friends before and using money, na 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 na, and finally he's by himself except the, his companions are pigs. Pretty pathetic, isn't it? And so um, what is important for us to know, though, is this, the sadness of his state was not punishment from God at all. You know, there's, it doesn't, it's not written in the Bible at all. God had to put me on my back, so the only place I could look was up. You know, you hear that kind of a deal. The thing, you'll never, you, that's not in the Bible, but what times uh, people will think that, uh, you know, of life choices and the difficulty and the problems that, that people endure as a result of their choices, that then God, it, it's God's punishment upon them. It's not God's punishment upon them. Our choices are like roads. And the difficulties that happen on those kind of choices are a part of the scenery on those roads. Proverbs, the 13th chapter and 15th verse says, the way of a transgressor is hard. The hardness of life isn't punishment from God. It's the way that people are walking. It's the road. It's the way the road is. It's the difference between going on, on the M1 that's paved or on, on this road that Tony and I ended up one time with, uh, I think, Annalise and a little gal in the church. Um, yeah, yeah, we were going to, what's that place we were going to? O'Reilly's. And we used the GPS. <laughs> Indeed. And so, but anyway, somehow we... We must have inadvertently chosen the road less traveled on. <laughs> and um, finally, we ended on this, this, and there was a sign that says, only four-wheel drives past this point. And we thought, this cannot be the way that most people go to O'Reilly's. <laughs> but it was quite a way. Well, it wasn't punishment. That road was not punishment. It was actually kind of fun. <laughs> There, but there were craters in the road, not just holes, craters. Anyway, uh, it, it was just the road. The road of a transgressor is hard, okay? Now, however, when there is no future, when in, in the way that we're, sometimes the road that we've chosen, it, it, a road that we're on doesn't look like there's any future, or at least any good future, uh, God can usually use something from our past. Jesus said something from John the 14th, in the, John the 14th chapter, he said, the Holy Spirit will remind you of things I've told you. Sometimes he'll remind you with a song. He'll remind you with a story. He'll remind you of something. A word will come back to you. Remind you, like he reminded this young, young first son, that things were a lot better in his father's house. And so, if you'll go to the 18th verse, he said, I will go home. I'll go home to my father. And I said, wait, can you go back to verse 17, please? 
when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. See, he remembered how good his father even treated the servants. Even the servants have food to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. Okay, so now go to verse 18. He makes this choice based upon coming to his senses in this horrible condition. He said, I will go home. But it, not just home, I will go home to my father. Can you say, to my father? Mm -hmm. And say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven. You don't have to keep saying that. But anyway, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. Now, we're going to switch to Judas and see, because there's kind of a parallel road, uh, but they have different destinations. So let's look at uh, Matthew, the 27th, when Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die. Well, when he did what he was doing at first, you know, in betraying, he actually asked, he asked the the chief priest, he said, how much will you give me? It was still all about the money, what he wanted. I, me, I want money. It was about money. But when he realized that what he did actually betrayed Jesus and condemned him to death, well, then that rattled him. He thought, what have I done? Okay? He was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. Now, that is an important verse of Scripture right there. Uh, and go to verse 4. He said, the same, he said the same thing that we see that the, the younger son said, I have sinned. He said, I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an intimate man. And then they said, what do we care? That's your problem. Here's the deal. And this is where things started going a bit different for, for Judas Iscariot than where this younger son's end of the story is. Is that when Judas be, was filled with remorse with where he was and what he had done, filled with, oh, what have I done? Well, he went back and started trying to fix, fix his life prop things up so he could keep going. Patch it up, patch it up. He went back to the chief priests and elders and said, I've done the wrong thing, let, let, let me fix this up. Sometimes, and, they, and look what they said, what's that to us? Have you ever found, sometime in your experience, that in trying to, to fix maybe relationships up, or things that you've broken and, <coughs> and, uh, and when you're trying to fix it up, that the other people involved in the situation may not want it fixed. Have you ever had that happen? Ooh, it's beautiful when it, you know, it's, everything is kiss and make up or, you know, oh, in this lovely, happy day, and, nah, 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 and we all go on. But you haven't lived very long if you haven't experienced that sometimes you want something fixed and somebody else doesn't want it fixed. That's hard. The thing about it is, with relationships, 
just trying to prop up and patch up and, and maybe wipe the dirt off of an important relationship. May not sort it, and it didn't hear with Judas Iscariot. He just went back to the chief priests and elders, which is a bit different than what the son did. The son said, I will go home to father. He could have just tried to keep propping stuff up where he was, but he made a wise choice. Just leave this, don't try to sort this rubbish, don't try to make it better where I am, just get up and I'm going to go home to father. Go to 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter. And we're going to look at this verse of Scripture in two parts. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience, okay, we have to stop there. God wants you to experience sorrow? Let's just keep reading. This is the Bible, and it's written to the Corinthian church, all right? So he's talking to people who are born in church, uh, Christians, okay? He says, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience, look at this, leads us away from sin and results in salvation. Well, this isn't, salvation here doesn't mean being born again, again. You don't have to get born again, again. But even after you're born again, you can be led into salvation that delivers you from traps that you've been, has anybody, okay, let me just ask a question. Has anybody in here ever sinned since you've been born again? Like the same thing, again. So for children of God, there's salvation, but it comes from God, not by us trying to patch things up and trying to save ourselves. all right? So he says here, he leads us away from sin and results, and results in salvation. Look at there's no regret for that kind of sorrow. You and I have, we've all experienced that icky feeling when we've done something wrong. And it may not be a horrible, huge, huge, huge thing, but it is, if there's ever a difference between us and God, what God's plan for us, God's will for us, God's mind for us. If we go cross-grained to that, it makes you feel, and it's not condemnation from God, it's in your own heart, it's an icky feeling. Have you all felt that? That's a godly sorrow that's meant to lead you away from the pigsty and lead you to the Savior. All right? Now let's look at part B. It says, but worldly grief, the hopeless sorrow that, char that is characteristic of the pagan world is deadly, breeding and ending in death. Now, that's important to know. Go back to Matthew, the 27th chapter, in verse 5, and let's see which one Judas went with. Judas threw the coins down. He was trying to fix it himself. He threw the coins down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. That's extreme. But you know what? That worldly sorrow that just says, I'm horrible, I'm terrible, what have I done? 
This is bad, and there's no hope. There's no hope if I could just feel terrible enough, if I could just beat myself enough, if I could do penance enough. If It ends in death. There's separation. There's people that haven't killed themselves but hate their life. They hate their life. All right? So, let's go back to 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10. Let's look at the good kind of sorrow. Now, the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret in that kind of sorrow. Let's look at verse 11, because it connects with the good kind of sorrow. Just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. It's such earnestness, such concern to clear yourself, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal and such readiness to punish wrong. You showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. So what's Paul saying here? This godly kind of sorrow doesn't lead you to hate yourself. godly kind of sorrow helps you identify you know because sin is an interesting thing you want something to do it it seems good it seems uh, and you kind of go that way but what godly sorrow does is make you not hate yourself just hate the thing hate the lying hate the stealing hate the cheating hate the hate the unforgiveness hate the gossip hate the um the unfaithfulness. Hate that, but it doesn't lead you to hate yourself. All right? So, if you'll go to Hebrews 4 and verse 17. Familiar verse of Scripture. So let us, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. And there is not one person in this room who doesn't need mercy. Everyone needs mercy on some level and about something. And this verse of scripture says, let us, us, let us come boldly. And that boldly isn't brash, and it is not arrogant. But what it is, it is confident, like this son, this younger son, confident that his father loves. So come home. Get up. Get up from self-loathing. Get up from despair of thinking, look at they, it's their fault, or blaming other people for whatever. Get up out of that and come home. Come home to Father. Don't spend time hating yourself. Don't, feel, don't spend time feeling terrible about the situation anymore. You're wasting time. Get up. Use that godly sorrow to get you back on the trail and come home. It's interesting here, the throne of grace doesn't come to you, but it does beckon you. Come. Jesus says, come. 
His love is made away. There is no one in this room that he said, if you do that again, you're cut off. I never want to see your face again. He, he hasn't said that. Aren't you glad? <laughs> God has never slammed the door on us. He turned away from his be only son so he'll not have to turn away from you. The door is open. He's left a path paved with goodness and kindness. And in that, he says, come. His goodness leads us to repentance. Not with arrogance, but boldly. And it says that we may receive mercy. To receive something, you have to be in the lower state. We're not coming there to take mercy. No, that's not the attitude. God resists the what? He resists the proud, the one that can say, I can manage this, I can sort this myself, I'll sort this out and then I'll come home. No, you'll stay where you are unless you humble yourself and humbly but boldly come home. Come home. Guys, listen, you don't have to have lived, you, don't ha- you, you, you may not have had the extreme experience that this first son had. It just may be, you know, just you've, you've just wandered somewhere in your thought life or you've, you've just let things get out of control with what you, how you talk about people. Maybe that you've just, you've just started living about me. Could be just like that. All the way up to a life that's a lot like the first son. Any of those things are cross-grained from, from God. And any of us, what he says to us is come. The throne of grace is home. And the one who sits upon the throne is a gracious heavenly father that has never crossed his arms to any of us. He lives with his arms open to receive us. So this morning we want to give opportunity for all of us, all of us. You say, well, I haven't had that kind of, no, no. If you've, if you've been fearing this week, if you've allowed fear to grip you, come home. Let the perfect love that is in the Father drive out fear. Yesterday, when I was just praying for all of us, as a, a, this church family, I, I, I felt like the Lord was saying that there are people whose, whose choice in life has affected your physical body. Could have been with just stress or other kinds of physical ailments in your body because of your life choice, choices that you've made. And you don't feel confident to receive healing because you feel like you deserve what's happening in your body. That's a lie. Because in coming home to him, you're coming home to healing. And he wants you to know that there's healing in his arms today. And you don't have to pay the price in your body for sins. 
There are people in this room who have been suffering from panic attacks. God wants you just to come home to some perfect love. So today, we're going to let this just be, represent, well, this whole room. His presence is here. He's here. He welcomed you today. We do want to give opportunity for anyone just to come. Leave where you've been. Get up. Come home. Come home to Father. You know, the scripture tells us, whoever comes to him, I will in no wise cast out. You never have to worry. When he sees you coming, he's going to tell the angels, bar the door. He's made a way. It's like, clear the path, clear the path. He's made it easy for you. Come, come. Just need you to come. There's an old song we used to sing. Coming home, coming home, nevermore to roam. Open wide your arms of love, Lord, I'm coming home. I'm going to sing it again. Coming home, I'm coming home, nevermore to roam. Not going to stay anymore where I've been. Not going to dabble around where I've been. Not going to make excuses for staying where I have been. Because I know you open wide your arms of love. Lord, I'm coming home. In just a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come, but I'm going to make it the invitation for three different groups of people. If you're here today and you've never come to God, you maybe have heard things about God, but you don't know that Jesus is your Lord, you don't know that God is your Father, and you don't know where you're going to go after you pass from this life. If you were to die, you don't know if you would go to heaven. You're supposed to know. You can know. And if you come to him today, change your heart, give you life. There's another group of people. If you need to come home because of you've just gone, gone in a different way than the way God is and the way God thinks, different from his word he's telling you today come home come home 
I'm going to say another group of people too. If you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, what I mean by that, Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, giving, giving this wonderful experience that enables believers to be strong, to be a testimony. If you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit since you've been saved, you need to come. Come. Come to Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. Let's sing this um, good, good father. And um, I'll tell you, um, well, I'm going to dismiss and just, well, they'll sing it, and then we'll dismiss. And it, if you need to go, uh, just go in the, in the grace and the blessing of the Lord. But there's tea and coffee in the back. And we do that purposefully because um, we want people just to enjoy time together in the Lord and um, meet new friends and talk. And this is a sweet atmosphere to do it in. And so we invite you to hang about and just enjoy. But right up here is, uh, is a place we in invite you to come. And there's a ministry team who will be ready to pray for you. But if you want to, if you want to just sort things between you and God, it's fine. If you want to sort things between you and God, and you just want to pray privately, you can stay in your seat or come up and kneel or whatever. But today's about coming to Him. Can we just do that? Stand on your feet. And I want to remind you, if you need to ask Jesus into your heart, if you need to come home, if you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, we invite you to come up right at the end of this service. Thanks for listening. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know and send us an email at church at if you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at rhema.org.au.